0: When film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 72 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and joining me tonight to talk about mutants and mariners and drifters and smokers are my co-host and best friend, Patrick. Hello. And the most special of returning guests, the one and only Andrew Dice. Ahoy! <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad one of you went with an actual marine reference there. I thought uh, about going, arrr. Oh, how perfect that would, that, just... that would have been. <laughs> Unfortunately, this isn't a time travel story, so we can't go back and fix that. Uh, I'm sure many of you listeners are wondering just how we came to be discussing a film as maligned as Waterworld on a podcast like this. Well, to be frank, it's because Andrew wanted to. That's how. So hop on the sailboat with us as we set out to see and explore this unique sci-fi piece of film history.
1: Oh, did you see? C as in S-E-E? <laughs> I course? didn't I really even
0: catch my own pun. That is really <laughs> embarrassing
1: to see and explore <laughs> to
0: see or not to see well after we catch up with what we've been watching lately that is right so andrew it is awesome to have you back on it is always an absolute joy
2: how you been doing i was muted that's how i've been doing but <laughs> muted he's <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> a mutie, it's a mutie. he's know. getting into character <laughs> 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 oh no, i've been i've been uh i've been really good uh San Diego Comic-Con is in the in the rearview mirror, which is one of the busiest times of the year. And I was fortunate to have uh, my a little vacation time saved up uh, for after Comic-Con. So I've seen all the way out to the West Coast of the uh, continent and then flown back, which is the way to do it. Yeah. Um, and I came back in just enough time to see the second Marvel team up. Long awaited, uh, this time the Netflix, Marvel TV side of things with the Defenders. Uh, you know, I don't know. If, I'm assuming everybody's well, maybe that's the problem. I assume people know about this. But I guess if you're not deep into Netflix in general, um, this might not even pop on your radar at all. But people have – we've gotten Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, the other one. Uh, and the other one, Iron together. Fist. Are you, are you
0: intentionally not naming it?
2: I'm sorry, all I know is that it's for him only. (laughs) So I didn't want to step on his toes. Um, (laughs) But yeah, and Iron Fist. Danny Rand, we we got our Defenders team up, which was a a, a kind of a a big announcement when they announced that this was going to follow a similar route to the Avengers of bringing in all of these solo stories for one big team up. And it's only eight episodes, so you would think that it is kind of a bit more, uh, urgent or a condensed story. Uh, that isn't really the case to start, which would be like my only real gripe about this particular show. Um, but it really drove home for me, like once all of the characters get together and start interacting that there is just nothing more fun than seeing characters from different stories share the screen together. Uh, Mm-hmm. Regardless of even whether you are in love with those characters or whether you just enjoy them or you like some and not others, because usually the kind of meta response to the characters works their way into a crossover like that. But um, have either of you guys gotten a chance to see the entire thing? Were you binging?
0: Well, I'll be I, honest. I i've I have not been on the Netflix Marvel Train for a while so i i bailed and i don't i use the word bailed that's probably not the right choice but because it wasn't because of something <laughs> negative in the shows but i stopped watching i think i got a, most of the way through daredevil 2 and i have not watched okay. i've not finished it i've not seen iron fist and so i've not seen i've not seen luke cage and yep. in, now i'm not seeing the defenders uh, for me tv is just so difficult uh at at, at one point uh, i just got to the the point where I realized I'm not going to do it. And so I have to just accept it and put my time into other, other interests because there's yeah. so many of them and TV was the one that has gotten cut. Uh, but I do agree with you wholeheartedly because just things like the Avengers and things like justice league, those are the best ones because of that very reason, because they bring all of those different characters together and you, you get to see them solo first. So you get to know, okay, this is how they act when they're by themselves. And then, uh Oh, now we've thrown these powder kegs together and (laughs) they're going to explode. And how are they going to interact? That's, that's gotta be the fun of it. And it sounds like defenders does that really well. Yeah,
1: exactly. And patch, what about you? Well, I, I'm kind of like Aaron. I, uh, I think I got I'm, I'm getting my superhero fill on the uh, on the CW with the flash and um, a little bit here and there with the big screen stuff. It's just when you throw so much superhero stuff at me, I tend to kind of shy away from it at some point and kind of crawl into my little cave of like, stop doing this to me. It's too much. It's too much. Um, I both time and interest have kind of collided and i've just not been as interested i mean unless somebody says you've got to watch this i mean i've been given so many recommendations of like hey check this series out or check that series out and i have to be very picky about what tv series um I, i choose to spend time with because my wife and i we try to spend some of our Uh, little time that we have together kind of watching something collectively and we we actually just caught up on scorpion from last season we had 22 episodes in the queue because (laughs) we got so busy basically the whole season so we finally finished that so between between time and just general interest it just has not piqued my interest like i want to see glow before i want to see anything with like the marvel mm -hmm. universe so Mm -hmm. just (laughs) lots of different things
2: (laughs) i will i will fully endorse that prioritization uh <laughs> but yeah no the 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 one thing i would say taking away from it is i think the defenders is a pretty good uh because like you said it is it it is really stepping into the kind of arrow tone uh especially in recent seasons so for me it's a show to put on in the background and i'm stopping and watching scenes when you know they change or that kind of thing um, but it is pretty cool and i like i hope that this is the case for more of these going forward is that None of the characters, it's not like they are all destined, you know, they, they they were not introduced for this ultimate goal explicitly. So I think that when you have characters that are kind of all introduced on their own with their own stories and then something happens to throw them together, um, that's just a more fun way of doing it. That was kind of, I felt the dip after the first Avengers where they were kind of, this is why they exist and then... You kind of left to do well. What next? So I think it's it's cool that people are kind of figuring out new ways to get around that. Um, I've also been watching uh, a lot of Spouse House and The Bachelorette or uh, Bachelor in Paradise, but <laughs> I don't think I want to talk about those. Uh, people can hit me up on Twitter for details. Do you do you uh, take part
0: in like guessing all the time of who's going to be not voted off the island? That's the wrong show. But uh, who's going to get the who's going to
2: get the rose? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's why we watch it, right? To see who of these people is the, like, objectively least desirable human.
1: <laughs> right? That's the fun of desirable. this, right? That's <laughs> awesome. that is, that is about right, yeah. Oh, that's great. We're going to judge. We might as well make some money off of it, right? Yeah, let's just Put yeah, exactly. the camera in. <laughs> why not?
0: Oh, I love I love the variety you bring to the table with the Defenders <laughs> and uh, Bachelors. <laughs> Survivor Island, or whatever you said it was called.
2: <laughs> I <laughs> would I want that show. On that show. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Patrick, oh, wow. what
0: about you? What have you uh, you've been watching or doing lately?
1: Well, I've been very busy with work, and I was uh, having a conversation with my sister in law about how busy I was, and in the midst of that conversation, she was telling me about a new Netflix original series called Atypical, which I'd never heard of. But you know, when you pop up Netflix, they're always going to promote their new stuff, and she had mentioned it to me, and I went ahead and, and searched for it, which was very short-lived. I didn't have to search for it very long. And it's essentially a an eight-episode, I guess you would call it a sitcom, but it's more like a sit, sit-dramedy. Sit- <laughs> I can't really describe it. It's akin to, it has the same kind of feel that uh, Freaks and Geeks had when it was running on television. Very smart, kind of somewhat coming-of-age uh, teen angst. But this focuses on a character named Sam who has uh, high functioning autism and it's this first season is really centered around his desire to date, to be the the whole idea is kind of exploring the idea of what does it mean to be normal? And when you have a character like him, who's at the center of it, that by default is not quote normal because of his um, condition, then you get this really great package of of, of a cast that um, support him not only in their relationships but also from an acting standpoint, and it makes for a very fun, entertaining, and very interesting season of of television. It's only half an hour, half an hour, half an hour episode, so it it really is like a sitcom. But it stars uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and Michael Rapaport, who play his parents, uh, Elsa and Doug. And it's also got, um, I don't know who this—who who she is, but her name is Bridget Lundy-Payne, Lind, and she plays Casey, his sister. Hmm. And what I love about this series, and it hasn't taken me that long to get through it, obviously, but I love the fact that when you have an ensemble cast like this, that it centers around one person to begin with, but it's not just about them. So the idea that gets fleshed out about this, this abnormal or normal, what is that? is really kind of echoed through the relationships that he has with his friends, with his experiences, but also with his relationship with his sister, who's incredibly supportive of him as a sibling first and foremost. And so it explores a little bit of her, her teen angst and kind of growing up um, in that family, the dynamic between the the two of them and their parents, um, Elsa and Doug uh, the first episode really got me hooked because there's a great scene at the end of the particular episode between Doug and Sam talking about wanting to, you know, Sam wants to be normal. He wants to be able to have a date and not freak out. And and Doug is so sympathetic. And I love that because I've, I've seen TV series like Parenthood, which I adore. And there's always, there's a struggle with, a father and a his his child who has some kind of disability or condition or something like that, and it's very difficult to relate. You know, there's this they explore this this idea of fathers relating to their sons, and I love in the very first episode we get this really just genuine connection and how Doug is saying, "Look, I love you," and you know what? What you're experiencing is not a product necessarily of your condition it's a product of being a teenager and so it's it's a great series it's one that i hope gets a second season i'm assuming it will it's gotten a lot of great reviews uh the <laughs> thumbs up i guess from netflix i don't like that rating system yeah, it's but so it's gotten it's gotten a lot of really great uh, public opinion and i'm anxious to to see where it goes in the in the second season but it's very easy to get through like i said eight half hour half half ish hour episodes that you can knock out in no time. I'm not encouraging you to do that, Aaron. Cause I know that, well, no, that's actually,
0: that's my kind of show. Patrick. That's like four hours. That's a, that's a movie. That's a Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. I mean, I can, <laughs> you know, like I can, I can
1: do that's one, one of the
0: three Lord of the Rings. So I can, I can do that.
1: Okay. Well, I would highly recommend it. It's very cool. It's very good.
0: Yeah. Especially with a, an ex-wife that uh, I'm very close to who is a special needs teacher in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it does have a lot of appeal to me from that regard because um, I, I didn't know anything about autism for many years until she started working in the field, and uh, my understanding and knowledge has has blossomed since then, and uh, it's really opened my eyes up to not being a uh, judgmental in a way that I think is very easy to be when you don't understand with those what right. those people go through so yeah that's definitely got uh, some appeal for me very cool well what about
1: you what have you been up to this week
0: um i'm gonna mention a couple of rewatches that i was able to get in this past week the first one i've been trying to or wanting to rewatch for a while and that is the lost city of z this is a film that came out in uh, i think march or april of this year and i had it was hotly anticipated for me it was one of my my most anticipated movies of the year I absolutely love the story uh, of Percy Fawcett, a British explorer who was deep in the Amazon jungle looking for this lost city uh, of gold and of cultural brilliance that was out there somewhere. And he disappeared and never came back. And we don't know to this day exactly what had happened to him. And I had read the book that this movie was based off of loosely and the story of him and so I was really excited for it I went to the theater and like I think most viewers I was so wrapped up in my love of current game culture of Uncharted type storytelling and (laughs) Indiana Jones movies that I was expecting a lot more in the adventure part of the film and that really doesn't happen it's much more of a character study it's really filmed in a way that is beautiful. And and there's a there's an artistry to it that is reminiscent of kind of the classic epics of many years ago. And I don't think most people were ready for that. It's just it's much slower than you would think. Oh, hey, this this movie about a treasure hunter or whatever in the Amazon is going to be. And so I was excited to check it out again, with my expectations in the right place, or, or at least not in the right place. But in knowing what I was going to get and sure enough it blew me away I really connect with this movie um on a pretty deep level and I'm, I'm hoping to eventually do a full mini-sode on it to talk about it I just want to keep mentioning it and bringing it up any chance I get to promote it because I want people to go see it I don't think a lot of people went and saw it in the theater and so that's why I'm mentioning it here is listeners if you have any interest in what I'm talking about here um go go watch this movie if you like old films like The Treasure of the Sierra Madre Uh, would be a great example go see this movie or go rent this movie um from Redbox or wherever you know download it stream it for a rental but give it a shot because i think that it deserves to be seen and it's a story that's worth being told and i i do think that uh that it very well may have some some oscar implications as well come next year so Uh,
2: as a further endorsement uh i believe the cinematographer of that one is uh like a collaborator of david fincher's i think he did seven Ooh, yeah. and um gosh uh well the beach i know he did and then uh was the other fincher one There's another one in there guys uh panic room and yes, uh um, yes. i think more recently oak Okuja on netflix uh-huh. so uh i yeah lost city of z i mean it is just kind of beautiful uh visually aside from everything else too Okay, cool. Well, I am really glad somebody else has
0: seen it because there there just don't seem to be many of us and and see <laughs> your response there is is very similar to what I do get when somebody has seen it. Almost universally, everyone's really enjoyed it. Uh and so I just hope that more people will will get a chance and make time for it. Patrick, I know you're you're a busy guy, but I I would love to have your opinion on it at some point as well.
1: Well, I'll have to I'll have to Put it in somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I know.
0: (laughs) I know. That's why I would. If I just make it an episode, then then you have to see it. So this is Um, exactly
1: what I'm talking about. Yeah, (laughs) I I think I'm. I'm. I've said this before, but I'm greatly appreciative of a a podcast like this because I wouldn't see half the movies in in the you know in in the amount nor in the wide range of quality or types uh, if I didn't have this show to to be a reason why. And I'm grateful for that. But the, the caveat is the equal opposite of that, that if I'm doing that, then I'm not really watching much of anything else unless it's a TV series that my wife and I are into or something that I'm just kind of having on in the background. That's familiar to me.
0: Nice. Well, will stay in real quick. This is just going to be a, a, a small mention, but staying with the books to movies theme, which is coming up very soon for us in September, it's going to be kind of a themed month for us. Uh, I actually rewatched Jurassic Park a little early. I know we're going to do a full episode on it, so I don't, want to, I don't want to say too much, but I hadn't watched it in so long, and I did it for an episode of Tabletop Flicks, the new podcast that we're hosting that uh, I co-host as well that is is merging board games and movies with a similar theme. We were doing dinosaurs for our latest episode, and, uh, of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World are the perfect Perfect movies to talk about when you're talking about board games matching dinosaurs, um, and so I rewatched it, and man, it hasn't lost a beat. Like it really hasn't. I was I was surprised. I honestly thought, okay, this movie has to have somewhat aged and kind of you know, you know, <laughs> I don't know, lessened a little bit on its you know awe and wonder that it that evokes in you. Nope. Didn't, didn't do it at all. It was, it was amazing. Incredible. I can't wait to talk about it in a few weeks.
1: Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I, <laughs> oh, that opening, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it for me. I, I, that, that opening scene alone is just pulls you in. I I want to see it on the big screen just for that opening scene with the Raptor that we don't ever see, you know, it's just so good. What a great way to introduce, Hey, it's a theme park with dinosaurs. I'm excited to you. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, with
0: all of that out of the way, it's time to get into this and talk about Waterworld. And we're going to start with the one person out of the three of us (laughs) who hasn't actually seen the movie up until now, which is crazy to me. (laughs) But it it is what it is, right? It is what it it is, is, Patrick. I mean, it's not like you weren't alive. So you you don't get to play the card of, you know, I was... Two years old when this movie came out, or anything. But tell right. us from a, a seasoned movie viewer's perspective in 2017, <laughs> having seen all of the incredible movies you've seen, how did Waterworld hold or not hold up? But how did it do for you? I mean, what did you how get? Did it, from do? it Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you have to remember, um, I I have a wide palette of film that that I enjoy, and I love looking back on my younger self, my pre, hey, you can appreciate movies for more than just their entertainment value self. And I look back at 1995 and the movies that were coming out when this, when this film made its debut. You have, you have your Tommy Boy, you have Get Shorty, you have Crimson Tide, Apollo 13, the Brady Bunch movie. These are all films that I enjoyed at the time that they released. And some have held up for me personally more than others. Mortal Kombat was another one that was out there that I've thoroughly enjoyed on its own uh, (laughs) merits as much as it can be so my my interest in Waterworld was very minimal this was not a film that I was like I'm anxious to go see this you know I like Kevin Costner all right he was great in Field of Dreams he was fun in Robin Hood and then I see this gross looking dude on a boat in the middle of an (laughs) ocean and I'm like no not really gonna do that and then (laughs) I get into my 20s and I'm I hear about this 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 film that's maligned that critics hate it and how it cost way too much money and, and went over budget. And I was like, well, <laughs> glad I missed that boat because that would have been tragic. And then years and years and years later, this podcast comes along and this guy, Andrew, comes along and it's the perfect storm, uh, pun intended with water, of this, this movie that um, I sat down and watched. And... I loved seeing it for the first time because even with all that past history of of the, the criticism and not being interested in it, this was a really, really enjoyable movie to watch for the sheer sake of action. And what this movie did for me is it reminded me that films don't have to be good or they don't have to be deep and important to be good. The entertainment alone is a valuable asset when it comes to film, which I think is a very, like, kept an obvious statement to make. But I think in this day and age, when we're looking at movies and we see a lot more filmmakers not just tell stories, but craft ideas and try to provoke an audience's reaction to something. They are, in uh, I think our, uh, uh, the Real World Theology podcast mentions that that – Movies are modern-day pulpits, and in a lot of ways, that's that's very much true. A movie like Waterworld could come along and just really kind of go, "What? What is this?" And so, seeing it now, even amongst these other films that I've I've really enjoyed for a number of reasons, more than anything, I enjoyed it m- for the most part because of its uh, what I've considered originality, uh, its its attempt to be different and adventurous and entertaining and to do so without having to delve so deep into ideas and themes that it just became a story and a movie that you enjoy watching and i think that we forget that sometimes as filmmakers because we're all critics in this day of of social media and everybody has a voice that we forget that <laughs> movies are made to be watched <laughs> they're made to be experienced by us as individuals and conversations are a great little icing on the cake after that. So I enjoyed it. I, I really had a good time with it. I uh, This might spoil what we'll talk about later, but I would love to see this as a TV series. I think that it has so much merit in terms of the things involved with it. But that was the one big thing that came out of it for me after this viewing was, man, this would be a TV series that I'd like to watch <laughs> just because of the number of things that I'm, I'm hoping that we'll talk about. So yeah, it was it was good stuff for me. I enjoyed it. Wow. Well, I'm glad. That
0: should make this a lot more fun, probably. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Andrew's probably over there going, whew. Um, um, And then the credits stopped, and now we'll get, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so then, up second, Andrew, let's go to you, because you suggested this. And the way this this episode came to exist, listeners, is because we were talking, I think this happened during the Interstellar episode, if I recall. Somehow we were talking about Interstellar and – or when we were t- discussing interstellar Waterworld yeah. came up and I just remember you mentioning that you had a, a deep affection for the film and you would love to talk about it someday. And so we were like, you know what, what the heck? It's probably not one we would ever have chosen. So let's just do it. <laughs> um, so I guess that's my question to you is why in the world did that movie, why does that movie come up for you in a conversation?
2: I, well, it's interesting because I saw it in 1995 or, or maybe 1996 when it was out on, you know, VHS. Um, so I was at the age where I did not register critical, you know, responses to things. Um, that was, of, the, you know, the time where I would look at the review in the movie in the newspaper and be like, of course, they didn't like it. It's fun. Um, you know, so this isn't the kind of movie that gets reviewed well in a paper. But um, I went and saw it and it was just like the fact that today if somebody announced a movie that and they said it's like Mad Max but it's on the oceans i would sadly my first response would be oh the only movie that fits that description is waterworld like no, you know and for reasons that we'll probably get into at some at some point in the discussion it is not a story that really happens that often but um i well for starters there are things working against it. First of all, it has one of the worst posters for a movie ever. I don't know if you guys <laughs> have this on hand, but it is not only, like, terrible to just, you know, like... It looks, looks like a fake Photoshop poster that would be, you know, a cliché, like, tongue-in-cheek, snarky a kind of Kevin Costner movie. It is also the worst reflection of what the movie is about, looks like, feels like... Um you guys know the poster I'm talking about? The half oh, of Oh, yeah.
0: No, I've I've been searching <laughs> oh, yeah. all week for I, – when I do our social media postings, I try to have like yeah. four or five different good photographs <laughs> from the film. And I have really struggled with this movie yeah. to find anything <laughs> that I want to like actually put on my Twitter feed.
2: Yeah, We're it looks like Asian it would
0: be
2: – yeah. yeah, like Stargate. You know, it looks yeah, like that exactly. kind of um, But no, I mean it. it really is the thing that I think I – love about it and i'm sure that patch like it must have been for you hearing this such you know maligned hated film probably a half hour into it 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 is doing things that i demand movies do today you know yeah. build the thing like mm-hmm. d- do the stunts you know be inventive um about it you know try something that is it's it's kind of the two-handed thing right is is now we get it these days is I wanted more of those characters like because you made them too interesting you know I I wish you had gotten a chance to explore more of the world because what you showed me was so intriguing Uh, and I think that really and you kind of spoke to this a bit too is that a movie does not I don't need to love every second of a movie to love that movie Right. Uh, Exactly. And honestly, the Mad Max comparisons are probably going to continue throughout the episode because I would wager that not only would someone be lying if they said that this movie was fundamentally different from a Mad Max film, but that (laughs) they enjoyed less of this movie than they might of a Mad Max movie if they sat down right now and watched it, because a lot of that stuff is of the period. You know, I would probably... I remember the Mel Gibson stuff and the scenes from Mad Max that stick in my memory so clearly. But I know there are five, 10, 15 minute portions of those movies that I kind of tune out when they're on TBS, you know, when I was coming up and watching them on Saturdays. Um, but, yeah, it just feels like this movie does like the ambition is so clear that I forgive it for the parts that it it falls short on. And all of that to really say that I have so many things that we can probably would be unproductive to just go down the list of them. But ideas that made it on to screen, we can just run through a list of so many of them that I watching it again was like, I totally forgot about this. This is incredible. This is one amazing thing after another. And then, okay, well, and then we'll watch it for a little bit. And it's like a fun film of the period with a screenplay written in 1986 you know it is kind of exactly what you would expect to get but uh yeah i mean people say it's a bomb it really isn't um people say that it's devoid of uh performance or quality and i think that uh, that is a really subjective thing and this movie remains way more ambitious than a lot of movies that i see today that Claim to be groundbreaking or polished or innovative or inspiring.
1: Yeah. I I think that I think Waterworld speaks to the basic idea of the I mentality. Did I enjoy it? Did I like the scenes that I liked? And what did I take away from it? And this is a movie that I think reminds me of the basic premise of why movies should be at their at their base, why they're made, and that's to entertain. I mean, I love to pull stuff beyond just the entertainment value. I love exploring the technical side. I have a, I have an, an editor friend of mine who, he says the first time he goes to a movie, he watches it purely for the story, and did he enjoy it? And then the second time he watches it, he looks at shots and how things work mm. together to sort of support that. And I think that's a great way to look at film, is if you can walk out of a theater and say, I like this, and then go from there as opposed to going into a film saying, well, you know, rotten tomatoes gives it like a 25%. So it's already sitting down there on the, I, I, it just, it's, it's, it shoots your movie experience in the foot at that point because you're, you're you're, you're crafting other people's opinions. Even if you haven't read them, you've, you're crafting a number in your head that's going to inform your attitude towards it.
0: Yeah, that's actually something, Patrick, that I have made a commitment to in the last two or so weeks. I was talking to one of our contributors, Don Shanahan, about this and how I was starting to kind of be frustrated with the way that I would walk out of rating movies, I would rate them right away. And, and I would realize that, you know, 24 or 48 hours later, that wasn't really how I felt about it. And then I needed to to sit on them. And one of the things specifically that I, I wanted to make sure I did differently was not to read and look at these review scores prior to seeing a movie it's become something that i just did automatically right well what does this what does the world say about it and i intentionally didn't do it with water world so i i refused to go check it out and see what the rotten tomato score was and what the letterboxd average user rating was before i watched it because i wanted to go in with that you know open mind And I think that it helped me. I really do. I think that it it enhances your viewing. And and even if it doesn't necessarily enhance it, it makes it more honest, you know, and more faithful to, you know, less less impacted or less, uh, you know, controlled by what you've seen. So I think that's a great piece of advice for my quick review here of it. I I just I agree with everything you guys have said. I had a lot of fun with it. I was surprised at how much fun I had with it to be honest, cause I didn't exp- I hadn't seen it since it came out. And all I remembered was the negativity. Yeah. Um, I was blown away by the ambition and the world building, which I'll talk about. We can talk about in depth, but those concepts and those ideas, it, it really had me comparing it as I was watching it to the, the recent to Valerian, um, mm. that recently came out, uh, in theaters, Valerian in the city of a thousand planets or whatever the, the long subtitle is. And it's just, it it had amazing ideas and, and everything didn't work in that film. The acting was good at times and bad, really bad at times. And the writing had some moments, but then was really, really bad at some times. And I felt a very similar about Waterworld. You know, there were pieces of it that when they worked, man, did they work. Um, but overall, that scope and that idea kept me engaged the whole time because I thought it was just really, really cool. And so... I kind of want to lead off with that. Well, I don't know. Should we talk about, I'll ask you guys, do you, do you want to talk about why it's considered maligned first or last?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I have no dog in this fight because <laughs> I'm the virgin of this. So Andrew, I'll let you, I'll let you choose that one.
2: Well, I know. Yeah. I think that is a good, cause people might be wondering right now if we had so much fun with this, why is this, why does it have such a bad reputation?
0: Yeah, I, well, I do too. So just to run down it, and, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but the history of this film is, is well known um, amongst many movie, movie lovers, and a lot of it revolves around the budget of this movie. So one of the reasons that this is considered such a flop is because it was originally budgeted at $65 million. And that grew to, I think, upwards of like around $172 million by the time that it premiered. Now, this is for a 1995 movie. So <laughs> that is, you know, consider inflation. That's a lot of money. That is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And, and Warner Brothers just had to keep writing checks over and over and over. And because of that, the movie was not able to make back its money, which, you know, is a common thing in 2017, but for a blockbuster to do that in 1995 was a much different story. There weren't nearly as many blockbusters going on in the summers, yeah. so while movie theaters these days just kind of turn their nose up and just expect losses because they can make their money back on merchandising and things like that, that's not the case with Waterworld.
2: Um, yeah, an accounting bomb, right? I mean, totally. Because the thing is, you say 172 million in 1995 dollars which is you know i think it was the most expensive movie made to that point but then the movie also made you know i think over or around or over a quarter of a billion dollars which in 1995 dollars (laughs) is pretty impressive too but it was just the studio sunk so much money into it that it took years to for it to end up being profitable and then of course you get DVD releases, VHS, uh, laser disc went through the whole gamut because laser of when this discs. thing came out that, you know, your tie in virtual boy video game. Um, and I think, you know, it is, it is funny now to consider what a bomb is these days. This was a movie that ended up breaking even, but they really wanted it to be a huge win.
0: Yeah, exactly. They thought that this could be something incredibly special, like a Mad Max. I mean, the Mad Max on water. Mm-hmm. references is exactly what this is. There's, there's no doubt about it. In fact, I was, I was over dropping my kids off with their, their mom just right before the podcast. And I was saying, yeah, we're going to be covering water world. And he said, Oh, her new husband said, yeah, that's uh, that's like Mad Max on water. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if that's the first thing everybody says. And, and there's a reason, you know, when so many people say that it's probably got some merit. Um, the other reasons that this film bombed or considered was considered to be maligned Um, is it, it is one of those movies that had a lot of production issues behind the scenes. So (laughs) they, they had to write, they had 36 writers tinker (laughs) with this script. Now, if, if that's not a sign, um, (laughs) of just trouble to come and I don't know what is. Um, and there were some really good writers on this, the David Twohy who wrote the fugitive, which is a phenomenal film. Um, Yeah. And I think he's, um, the Riddick movies now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think he is uh, paired up with Vin Diesel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was hired right to polish, uh, Raider's original script. Um, and, and was the only one to receive any credit, uh, as well. Mm -hmm. But then there were like 35 other, other writers that were brought in. Um, Josh Whedon was one of them, (laughs) interestingly enough. So, um, he was, he, he actually was quoted as saying that he, was tasked with putting Costner's own ideas into the screenplay. So this was very much a Kevin Costner led project. And he, he called himself the world's highest paid stenographer and called the experience seven weeks in hell. So this is one of the best writers of our generation listeners, Joss Whedon, who (laughs) thought that this was absolute hell for him. So, um, yeah, I mean, it couldn't have been a good experience. Um, The movie was shot on the ocean, duh, but they, they shot it off the coast of Hawaii during hurricane season. (laughs) And interestingly enough, they, Warner brothers had done this same thing two years earlier with Jurassic park and a hurricane had hit during that time. Well, they didn't learn their lesson. A hurricane hit and destroyed the whole set of the atoll during the production. They had to rebuild the whole thing. So there's, there's millions of dollars, right? Adding to that, that number. Um, And then there was a ton of dissent between Kevin Reynolds and Kevin Costner. This was their fourth collaboration. And even though they worked so much together, they often did not see eye to eye with creative filmmaking decisions. And so it was reported that that Reynolds really wanted this to be more of a serious film with a stoic Mm -hmm. hero. Um, And there are moments of that in the film that you can absolutely see. And then Costner wanted his character to be much more swashbuckling. Uh, and have have some more levity to it, and so and you can absolutely see that as well. <laughs> yeah,
2: the uh, James Newton Howard makes sure the music reflects the moments that Kevin Costner feels are really swashbuckly. Like, In, well, exactly, I, he would... and,
0: <laughs> and he was brought on to redo the score because the score was done with a stoic feel to it, and so they brought Kevin Costner brought him on to finish it. Um, so it's it, it was a mess. It's it, it, so much of a mess that even during during post production. Um, Kevin Reynolds quit so the director quit yeah. uh, and some reports actually say that Costner fired him uh, and then Kevin Costner finished editing the movie himself um, and then much like people like to, to, to bag on Suicide Squad and call it jokingly that Oscar winning film Suicide Squad
1: Waterworld <laughs> has an Oscar fellas did you know that? Did not know that. <laughs> what do you think would it you would like be for? Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm gonna say best original screenplay because that was pretty oh. phenomenal. <laughs> All thirty of the writers come up there and be like, "Thank you for the award." Yeah. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that
0: be fun? Uh, yeah, best be sound mixing is uh, the award that this film won. So, and and you know, I don't okay. I don't have a problem with that honestly. I think that the no. sound mixing and most of the score mm-hmm. is is really well done. So, so yeah, that's that's the history of this gem and um and and why so many people I think. Unfairly judge this movie or rate this movie or have memories of this movie, and, and it's based on these things we just talked about, and not on actually watching the film itself, like Patrick, like you got to do for mm-hmm. the first time without knowing all this stuff.
1: Um, yeah, and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny the fact that off screen stuff affects on screen stuff. That's that would be I'd be living in a bubble if I if I if if I didn't believe that you know those were mutually exclusive ideas. However, when one informs the other, just like the 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 history of an actor or the antics of an actor outside of a performance that makes him Oscar worthy, a la Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea, his, you know, acting should not be judged on the quality of his candor off screen, even if you agree or disagree. And I think in the same way, you're you're devaluing a film ahead of time by knowing all this stuff. Which, you know, when you're when you're reading movie news or when you're reading the paper at the time or whatever, you're gonna find out this information. So you can't necessarily avoid it completely. But you know, it just it makes for a better informed movie experience when you kind of go in there free with as fresh as you can be. And I was glad to do that.
2: Yeah. That and that is the the biggest thing I think that is kind of for me it is the most concise way of putting it is that the movie is serving two masters. One of them is to make a very bleak, um, you know, post-apocalyptic, but yeah, but it has, um, it has integrity to it. I, I feel like when it hits those parts, like it is kind of unapologetic in the way that it portrays Kevin Costner's character and the world around it. That is just has a, you know, dignity to it that, um, then it is also trying to be, like you said, a swashbuckling adventure film. I think if it had been more of an adventure, you know, a la hook, like there's a lot of very similar stuff going on there, it would have been a more commercially successful movie. And I think if it had stuck more to the serious one, it would have been a more critically successful or, or would have lived on as, you know, a, a more clear vision. Mm-hmm. But I would in the end say I think that the ideas and the action that is presented on screen is on par with Mad Max Fury Road, but it really is left wanting by the lack of a clear, you know, directorial vision for this stuff that it's it's kind of a crappy idea of them to walk in an area that is so familiar with like a master filmmaker and George Miller that the guy is creating art. Um, that is also a movie. And this is a movie trying to do the same things. But like we said, the appreciation for what I'm seeing is so much fun that I'm, I miss how it's being presented to me less, if that makes sense. Oh, I. I there you, I, are things that yeah. are, you know, it, it's like, well, this isn't the coolest way you could have shown me this, but wow, you're really showing me a cool
1: thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: I assumed that, you know, knowing you, Andrew, and your love for pirates, that you know, it made perfect sense that you would gravitate toward <laughs> a movie like this, because Hell that's yeah. that's really one of the things that that we both picked up on watching this. Is you know, it all it feels like a pirate tale in mm. a lot of different ways. Uh, in the world building. And I wonder if it was more marketed toward that than the sci-fi side of the picture than the post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. sci-fi nature of, you know, climate change causing this, this water world to exist. I wonder if people would enjoy it more and, and latch onto that swashbuckling nature.
2: Yeah. Cause I, I do think even calling it science fiction is a little misleading. The movie isn't really about, it isn't about the world that was it's about the world that is, you know, I don't think it has a real moral teaching about how they got there. Like there's nothing speculative about it. Um, I think it does fit more into the world of, you know, just, it's tough to put a label on it because these stories I always feel are really about the world before it was the one we know. So there are parts of this that tap into the same thing I love about master and commander, uh, you know, just the 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 scale of the world and the way that human action human interactions changed because of that. But you could also cast this as it's a it's a pirate movie. it's a, a western, really? I mean, swap out deserts for water and you're looking at another man with no name literally.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that a lot of the scenes would not need to change at all. I you know, I mean, when they make their first escape from the atoll you know that could just be a town you know it's not there's nothing locking it to it which i feel like a science fiction would be harder to to shake off um i do think that the mad max comparison is a is probably the best way of describing it because mad max also speaks to that right it is we're returning to the past in the future right the it's just basically a new frontier uh and like you said i think that the fact that it, it works as a pirate movie a lot of that is because so much of the imagery is tied specifically to pirates because th- there just aren't other movies made like this you know you couldn't make a cyberpunk story that happens on water because you end up going 100 million dollar over budget you know <laughs> but yeah. i do think that it is it is fun yeah the water makes it like familiar in that sense and it allows them to trade on the kind of nostalgia of that uh i yeah it's hard i mean there is really so little meat on the bone in terms of story it is so much about mood that i think that's what i would totally agree it has the mood of a pirate story like that mm-hmm. non-stop dread or kind of the tension of of every interaction with a person is an uneasy one well which is yeah. The Coen yeah. brothers water world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Man, yeah. actually mixing a lot of their drama and comedy together, you kind of, hmm. kind of get that. Um, so one of the things that's not light on though is world building. Uh, and I, and this is one of the areas that I just latch onto in a film like this. If you're going to call yourself Epic, I kind of want to, I want to know your scope is big and I want to see what kind of interesting ideas you come up with. Uh, and so I particularly enjoyed the way in which they did that and the detail, the level of detail that they went down to in the world building. Did you guys like that as well?
1: Yeah, I did for sure. I I thought that that was one of the things that impressed me the most was this idea of world building and to to kind of echo a little bit of what you were saying earlier, Andrew, I, I kind of, I would have, I think, been better without the opening voiceover to tell us like why we're here. Like, I don't need the history. I don't need to know that the world was this. Mm-hmm. If you just told me this was a new, this is the world I was going to be in, the world of now instead of like what it was, that would have been, I wouldn't have, I don't need that. And I think the world building that took place independent of that would have been stronger because I wasn't thinking about, oh yeah, the I, I wouldn't have been trying to make connections to, like the smokers were, were they like, Descendants of people that were in machinery, and mm-hmm. how did mutants get to be they where they were? Was there something weird going on in the water back when we were living? And I wouldn't have been trying to make those connections. And so the world building, I think, was so interesting that it could have stood on its own without all that stuff to kind of kind of muddy it a little bit. but as as a standalone, as it stood, if I kind of minus that from my brain, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, when we get introduced to the I love the fact that Costner's character is just the Mariner like he's never given a name (laughs) and that he's a class of person He is a you know a race and it made me wonder are there others like him apparently there might be because you know He they the people in the atoll have messed with those kind before and then you have the smokers and and drifters and I I just uh, I wanted more information about those guys about those different cultures and, and that's why I mentioned earlier that I thought this would work so well as a, as a television series because you could get these little pockets of episodes that introduce you. It reminded me a lot of, um, of Firefly as a TV series that for me personally didn't work well as a, as a film going into Serenity because I love the TV series and the long-form storytelling of that. I kind of wish that I'd gotten that with Waterworld as a TV series because I thought being able to flesh out more of that stuff – would have made the characters much more interesting. Mm -hmm. They weren't uninteresting to start with or anything. And I wasn't dissatisfied with that, but it made me hunger for more of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. The fact that we got like eight Stargate TV shows and not one Waterworld one (laughs) is cause it does feel like, you know, uh, Farscape, you know, like Mm -hmm. this, this is so clearly in that wheelhouse of good ideas. Uh, it is funny because i did have a moment when they said you know smokers and i would like my mind just flashed to fury road where they are naming all of the clans and i was like man i wonder if george miller saw this you know and thought like well a i'm flattered <laughs> because this is so clearly what you're doing here um but also neat ideas it does seem like a a tv show that would be uh of that you know mid-90s ilk of like The graphics aren't great even though it is all on the ocean so um you you kind of forgive it that is kind of the thing that that drives home with me on the world building is it has such a sense of humor to it that I think that Kevin Reynolds and everybody kind of involved in this I feel like even with that many writers it has it does capture for me that same weird tone of George Miller and Mad Max, where it is kind of darkly funny and other times slapstick funny. Uh, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> Joss Whedon, there are clearly lines that did break in um, that are very much of his style. Um, I'm looking mainly to the villain of the movie, but you know, like, yeah, and you said, Patch, I would have done without the opening monologue too. I feel like that is, is explicitly added in after because it is fun to discover it in the movie. And, you know, Dennis Hopper leaning up against the portrait of St. Joe, um, all of those ideas that are, you know, they're rare in movies that are considered bad. Usually a movie is like creatively corrupt or bankrupt. Um, I do think that it is a testament to the refreshingness, you know, And the inspiration of that actual kernel of the idea that it made it through 30 writers to get that joke and have everyone in the audience kind of laugh and realize like that's hilarious is the captain of the ship, you know, (laughs) however many centuries ago. Um, And yeah, the when the traders meet uh, by the time we meet the second one, I feel like we all know the rules of what's about to happen, what the risks are, uh, you know, the dangers and all of that. And the price it doesn't seem weird the way it goes Uh, so I think that is (laughs) yeah
1: there's definitely a lot of strength in like the opening the establishing shots of that opening sequence which don't tell us too much but they Mm -hmm. tell us enough to keep us intrigued and then when we find out more we go back to that first shot and say oh That's why he was able to stay underwater that long because he's a Mm mutie, you know, and that was my (laughs) little aha moment. I was like, ah, that's good stuff. That's trusting your audience with Mm -hmm. uh, with the ability to figure stuff out on their own. And and I think that, you know, movies now do that more, which is, you know, a credit not only to the audience, but also to the directors. And, And I love that stuff. I think it was a it was a forward thinking idea that that we got in a time when that wasn't necessarily the case.
2: Yeah. And you know, that's that just reminded like it just unlocked a memory that I remember seeing it for the first time. I would have been probably about nine when, when I saw this and seeing him come out of the water and then pee into the, <laughs> into the bottle and then end up drinking it and spitting it out of the plant. I think that was the first time it drove home to me that you can't drink seawater like water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. That right. was seeing that was the first time it actually clicked in my brain that was. Oh, this could kill them. You know, I'm used to thinking of water as a good thing, of the sea as, you know, idyllic. And I feel like maybe as adults, we lose a bit of that interpretation from the first scene that it is, it might as well be desert, you know? And I think that was a really great way of dialing that in to begin with, that no, no dialogue is said and we are communicated how hard it is to survive in this world. And that not only is this character surviving, but he's actually thriving. Like he's coming up with ideas that the average person wouldn't. Then when we see him with Gills and all of that, it is kind of a justification like, oh, that is exactly why he's so good at this. Right. Yeah, I I
0: really, really latched on to the opening sequence for the world building standpoint, um, because like you said, from moment one. When he is, you know, drinking his own urine, of course, for any movie to start off with, that is, is pretty, <laughs> pretty ambitious in and of, of itself um, for to let your audience go like, oh, OK, that's what we're going to do here. But, <laughs> it, you know, it establishes everything so well. And and one of the things, Andrew, I noticed as well was the, the not wasting a drop, um, taking mm. taking his finger and running it around the rim of the cup and giving giving those ep- extra drops to the plants. All of that said, so much about the state of the world without having a bunch of exposition explaining it, and then the Drifter Code, the existence of the Drifter Code. If you meet some, if you meet something, has to be exchanged, and, and he says nothing's free in Waterworld. That kind of world building. Oh my gosh! I mean, yes, I would love a TV show like this, or yeah. um, it also it also feels like ripe for uh, an MMO, a massively multiplayer online game <laughs> where you you know choose your race. Are so you going to be you know, a mutie, or are you going to be a smoker or are you going to be a drifter and trade? What are you going to do? And how are you going to, how are you going to make, make a life? Um, and so everything about that is just really cool. And, and, and the level of detail is there. I mean, even the airships, they're called skyboats, right? So (laughs) everything is consistent with the world that they've given us. And I, I I Mm -hmm. really, really, really enjoy it. I think one of my biggest disappointments is that I don't get answers to any of these questions. And, and Patrick, mm-hmm. you said TV, I'll go back to that TV thing again. Like that would have been so much better. And maybe it's because they thought that this was going to be such a hit that we would be able to have a franchise and sequels. And we would be able to follow Kevin Costner's mm-hmm. merman and, and, and learn like how he became that way. Right. Where, where's yeah. the origin story? Like why, why in the world does someone randomly have gills and webbed feet other than this, you know, short sure. explanation of, well, it's just life evolving, life finding yeah, a yeah. way and evolution. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed that too. Um, and th- so another thing that I actually really like is action sequences. For being in 95 <laughs> and for being talked about as negatively as this film normally is, I yeah. had a blast. Did, it, did any... Yeah. Okay, so pick one that really stood out to each of you so that we can all get a chance here. <laughs>
1: Well, I, 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 uh, it's, it's hard to pick cause this was like the big Mac of action sequences. You had one like in the beginning and the end and this nice little one in the middle there. It was just really fun. I thought the, uh, my favorite one was the action sequence on the atoll. hole whenever he was captured and he's, you know, he's trying to get himself out of the, uh, out of the cage. That whole event for me was really a ton of fun because it introduced you to more characters. It got you to the villain, you know, of, of, of Deacon, but we also get to see all these other small tidbits of things like <laughs> the use of machines, the use of like these old jet skis, uh, the sea doos or whatever. <laughs> and it was just so big and bombastic and and worthy of a ninety five action sequence. Like this was right up there with Die Hard with a Vengeance, which came out that year. And we have so much stuff going on that um, that it's just really, really you, you're, you can't help but not look away. You're just kind of there's so much happening that you spend uh, a ton of time just trying to, you're almost exploring just rapidly. And I thought that um, we got, while the world building was happening from the very beginning, it just kind of expanded in that first action sequence. And mm-hmm. uh, and it was just a lot of fun to watch too, as you know, at its basic core. Oh
2: man. Yeah. I'll have, I'm, I'm assuming we all like dropped our jaws wide open when the airplane showed up pulling those six. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that was the, you know, that was where I was like, I need this, like, scored by Junkie XL. Like, I need this to be like Fury Road because that reveal uh, was so great. Um, and, yeah, the guy's diving underwater. But uh, I will say, because all the stuff was individually cool, the shots where we're seeing, it's, it's as all of this insanity is happening and it's kind of cross-cutting between. I will go so far as to say that Kevin Reynolds... Is like those shots at times are downright like Spielbergian. Following the the you know the the woman and the girl running and it's like clearly a crane shot following them down and then they run and it stops because there's Kevin Costner in the cage, and it's all you know one shot. Um, that's just stuff that isn't done in movies and it feels it stands out even today. That you know there are a couple of them too. I think it. Did one where it was following them on the water and then lifted up and we cut to a different action sequence uh, next to them on the dock. Uh, That stuff just felt like and in the first half hour of the movie. I mean, I, I just if that exact scene was, you know, content in a movie today, I would think it was still standout, you know, just a fantastic idea executed with so much fun and spectacle.
1: Yeah, the practicality of all of it, I think, is what impresses me the most. I love practical effects. And I talked about this a few weeks ago on a podcast on The Amazing Spider-Man, that the stunts were done very practically. There wasn't a lot of CG. Yeah. And I think that's lost a lot in today's big blockbusters is this overuse or this extensive use of CG at the expense of practical effects. Uh, Not only the effects themselves, but also the stunt work. I I can appreciate stuntmen more when I see a film like this because... Mm. There is very I don't I don't know that there was a lot of, of besides not really great green screen every once in a while uh, I thought that <laughs> the practical effects of the stunts yeah. particularly were really impressive because I mean this is acting in a physical form I mean you're you're not necessarily saying anything but going back to that opening sequence there wasn't dialogue until mm-hmm. you know he meets the other drifter and so there's a lot to be said about body language and nonverbal communication particularly in action sequences like that that tell you more about the characters they they and they they cause you to feel something i, I started feeling a little bit of angst towards deacon when i first get introduced to him because of the way yeah. that he treats uh his henchmen i love that he calls i think he calls him at some point, brothers and sisters, cousins, or whatever, like, yeah, yeah, cousins. cousins, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I love the practical effects and all that.
2: Yeah, the yeah, and, and uh,
1: Kevin Costner,
2: when they make it out of that atoll and he grabs onto that rope and comes swinging in, I was like, I, you know, what? I tip my hat to Kevin Costner for, be, you know, being willing and all of the establishing, you know, the big shots of him where he's he clearly wanted to be the person he wanted them to see that it was him doing it. And I have all the respect in the world. Maybe when you're out in the middle of the ocean, it's easier to get around insurance companies doing that, but it's, you know, it paid off in the end. Yeah. Here comes Robin hood. Um, I, you know,
0: (laughs) I like the, the innovation of just the way that they were drawn up. They, you know, the, the one with the airplane and the harpoon in particular really stuck out uh, Mm. as being the the action scenes were unique. Um, and there at the beginning when the smokers are coming into the atoll, there was just, so many different ways that they were using to get in that made it interesting if they were just going to stand outside the door and shoot yeah it would be very boring but you have the jet skis going underneath the gate underwater and then popping up um and you have some of these other other things going on where um there's one guy on a skis that uses a ramp Um, you know, they just jump over the lower walls to get in pirates. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, It's very Uh, much pirate. Yeah. And so that, that was really cool. And then the other sequence that stuck out to me is, uh, when Costner decides to use himself as bait, both from an, (laughs) from, from an interesting actiony kind of, you know, decision-making like creative standpoint, it's really cool, but also it was just a great scene. From one of his best moments in the movie as an actor, I felt like, because the look on his face is one of just pure, like, all right, fine. Like, I, yeah. I, I've i got to do this now. I was trying to avoid this, but you guys are going to just not shut up about needing food. So I'm just going to get this over with now, and I'm going to do this. and." I know you guys are going to be all crazy and I think it's this big deal, but let's just do it. And then, you know, and then plops in the water, like it's no thing. And you immediately know, right. As a, as yeah. a viewer, again, you don't need exposition. You know, you're like, uh Oh, this guy is truly going to do something crazy. And, and then boom, he's bait. So, um, I really liked the design of all of that. And, uh, I just thought it was, I thought it was awesome. And I love that you guys brought up the comparison to 2017, because it makes me wonder what a remake of this would look like you know, in today's day and age and today's Hollywood, do you think that it would improve or, you know, do you think that, it, do you think it would be very hard to improve because of how well it was done
1: previously? Um, I think as a whole, the the film itself would probably not be successful because it's trying to capitalize on something that was from a, a negative place anyway. And I think <laughs> If if I'm put in a position as a filmmaker, if I'm gonna call myself the director and I'm being kind of shackled by by the studio, they're gonna probably encourage me, and I put that in air quotes, to use as much 2017 technology and resources as I can to make this film better. And I would imagine that this this film would get a heavy dose of CG. It would, because Mm -hmm. not that that's what sells, but I think that's what's popular. And if I were the big ballsy guy, I would say, no, I'm going to get Chris Nolan to help me with this one or something (laughs) or get some kind of, you know, or I'm going to, I'm going to bring on a creative team to make this film right. And it's going to be, it's going to have a, you know, a, a better touch from a screenplay standpoint and a more thought out. Um fleshing out of of different characters and whatnot, but i I'd like to think that it would be successful, but I don't think it would just because I mean, yes, maybe the practical effects would still be solid, but I don't know that the entire movie would necessarily be successful well, maybe yeah, if, it would
2: be it would be about you know the real meaning of this world that was lost uh, true, yeah, yes, although
0: yeah, I don't do that to you know again, if somebody like somebody like Nolan or I could see if Denis Villeneuve, you know actually yeah. succeeds with <laughs> dune you know that would be the type of filmmaker i would love to see tackle this um mm-hmm. and i wouldn't mind having that kind of a more serious darker tone taken to it because oh, i would, yeah. i would always have this fun version to go back to and i would vo- i would virtually get my cake and eat it too you know you'd be able to have your fun swashbuckling yeah um silly silly version and then you'd get to have your like okay this is seriously what the evil is, go- <laughs> this is what's going to happen when climate change really does impact <laughs> yeah
2: it might be it might be the biggest compliment i can pay to the movie that if they announced someone was going to remake waterworld i would be excited but the the entire job of the director and the crew would be to do the action and the good parts of the original as well mm-hmm. as they did back then and then improve the parts around it but if you do that you kind of just get mad max fury road from a director other than george miller so i don't really mm-hmm. know um you know if it, if it is worth the risk of making something that ends up just being like <laughs> like you said blue screened or putting the focus in a weird place instead of the sheer spectacle and insanity of yeah. this kind of stuff but um but i would still be psyched that it was being made because it would be a chance to see this you know these crazy stunts all over again but again You could splice in shots from the original. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And
1: and there's something, I mean, there's something valuable. I, I I go back and forth in my head about the value of remakes and and reboots. And Mm -hmm. uh, Aaron, you and I had the conversation. We were talking about uh, the magnificent seven and the, the kind of the down the middle opinions that we both have about, about the new, new version. And, you know, but my default position is if I enjoyed the original, I don't need a remake. But then when I see a remake that's equally as impressive, I'm like, yeah, I totally yeah. deserved a remake. Yeah. And I think that with Waterworld, uh, like you, Andrew, I would be excited about it. I, being this, being my first time viewing it, I, I think I would be excited from that pure standpoint of saying, fantastic, I'd love to see if they could get away with Taking that same two hours and fifteen minutes <laughs> and giving us more information, or cutting the things that were intriguing and left us wanting positively or negatively, and mm-hmm. giving us a fantastic action movie, a la Die Hard or something like that, yeah. because those things are equally as memorable. They're equally as rewatchable as the you know the 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 Villeneuve or the or the Nolan approach. I mean, I think that there's. Equally, as much value of having just a great action film with some substance. Uh, because to me, that's that's different than than, say, your Michael Bays, which, in my opinion, are just pure spectacle with very little substance. And um I'd like to see someone handle the story with as much care as as a Christopher Nolan with the same idea of give me that swashbuckling thing because that's really the selling point of this film is that pirate's life swashbuckling big world let's because i mean essentially the plot's kind of formulaic you know uh, oh yeah mysterious thing uh that needs to be you know it's this this you know this artifact which is the girl or the tattoo that gets us to the place and that's kind of the push and that's okay. I mean, just make everything else interesting. I mean, we have our MacGuffin essentially, so let's run with that. And I think that you could do that in 2017 successfully if you had that right balance of keeping the the spectacle that was so great in this one with more of a a fleshed out story.
0: Awesome, man. Well, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to
1: cover? Anybody? I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about about Dennis Hopper okay mm-hmm. and I think his role as Deacon he, he, I, I just I completely saw his character from speed in this you know it's just <laughs> just this demented and and I started thinking why do I enjoy Deacon in this and that's why I made the comparison to his character in speed and that while I, I love a well-rounded fleshed-out villain I mean there's no doubt about it I love a villain that has sympathy, someone that has a a history, a past, or or whatever that I can kind of. It's not just a you know a a mustache twirling yeah ah uh-uh, you know whatever, but there's a lot to be said about the entertainment value of an over the top villain who gets his comeuppance at the end, and I think Dennis Hopper, he does that really well. He plays that, insanely, <laughs> spectacle driven, villain that you want to just meet his demise. Not because you hate him, but because it's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be so bad that you want him to be offed at some point. And it just got me thinking about, I think what I brought up earlier, that the movie's value can be in its simplicity, even down to the heroes and villains. There wasn't anything spectacular about The Mariner. I mean, he didn't do anything spectacular. I mean, he's not—he's not, he's not going to be a character that I'm going to be like. That's one of the greatest protagonists in film history, <laughs> but he was the best for this this movie. He was exactly what fit in terms of a protagonist, mm. and and Deacon as the antagonist, as the main villain, supported that. Supported that story. He didn't have to be anything more or less than who he was. Plus, I just adore Dennis Hopper. I think I, I loved him in Hoosiers. He has—he has a very just great range of acting abilities so to see him do something like this um and things like you know compared to things like hoosiers and other films that i've seen him in it's just it's just wonderful because I, I don't know that i don't know that he gets maybe he does get a lot of love but maybe not for this particular film and i think that this deserves to have some some kudos thrown at it
2: yeah, yeah. he's oh i mean this is it just did just remind me how much i love dennis hopper and how much you know, like how much of the world lost uh, w- a- an actor who was just—he could probably sell anything, you know, <laughs> because he was just a cartoon really character in this, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, yeah, there's his,
0: there's that one line of dialogue that I I I just is ingrained in my brain uh, toward the end where he he. <laughs> he asked somebody asked him a question i I forgot what the question is because i didn't really pay enough attention but his answer is he says i'd say there's two chances of that no way and no how (laughs) 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 and he he laughs at his own joke and i just i love when someone is when a character is so self-aware and written Mm -hmm. that way that they can do that like Mm -hmm. that line to me was like that felt like a joss whedon line
2: oh yeah and the bargaining Yeah. You know, between the two guys, that was all, you know, refresh my memory. What happens? Or the um, the first time when it was, you know, did I say that? I might have. Oh, darn. I, I guess have. I did. You know? And he hands the yeah. gun off, right? <laughs> <laughs> to himself, yeah. Um, yeah. But that is just uh, a, you know, maybe he doesn't like Chuck Charles. That felt like another Whedon-ism. <laughs> but also it might just be the way he d- delivered it. But um, mm-hmm. oh, I loved in the design of him, Uh, you just, the, the proto, you know, Combine him with his second in command, and it is Immortan Joe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I think to, to, to your point too was um, it, he is a unsympathetic. You know, he is he's fun and likable, but I, I do want him to be defeated in this. And right. it really did drive home when the Mariner, you know, walks out onto the deck of the ship. It was I thought pitch perfect. Like both mm-hmm. of those characters. This is the kind of villain our story needs, and this is as good a hero as this story is going to get. Is a guy who drops a flare, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and then maybe, maybe my favorite moment of the film was the old man in there saying, "Thank God." Thank you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Yeah.
2: I just those little moments were the ones that were like, oh, there's so much good here. That is. You know, weird, good. Like, I don't want to meet <laughs> the guy who thought this up, but I definitely want to see it on film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> did, you guys, that. did you guys? Did you guys know Jack Black was in this? Was that? Yeah, no. that was him, right? Sitting there. He's a pilot. With, uh, yeah, when they're um, it was when it cut to them on the deck. He had a big black beard and he was in like a, an old-fashioned jacket. Mm-hmm. Just for oh, a second, gosh. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's very brief. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's one of I guess it was like one of his like fourth or fifth movie credit when he was a young oh, actor. Gosh. So That's yeah, awesome. fun little factoid there.
2: <laughs> Jack Black. Yeah. Jack Black of Waterworld fame. I know. <laughs> and I'll be afraid to him. And I have to give love to Kim Coates. The, you know, the second, uh, not for sale, not for sale, uh, who people will know him from Signs of Anarchy, um, among other things that as the Irish, I guess. A uh, weird traitor that was kind of the anti-mariner,
1: which I thought oh, was a yeah. cool. You
2: know, show how bad a person can get out here, but
1: still be functioning. You mentioned you mentioned Hook earlier, and he reminded me a lot of uh, of uh, of of Toodles. I've lost my marbles. He oh, just yeah. reminded me, a lot. just because he was just completely he's he's the epitome of what it's like to be on the sea that long and not be around like normal people or people at all.
2: (laughs) And just roll camera. Yep. Like you go all in on that paper. We'll tell you when to come back.
1: Yeah. Just just go for it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So awesome. Well, um,
0: I guess with that being said, let's, let's roll from laughter into our connecting point, which I guess could be laughter. Uh, not that it it usually is, but you never know, right? This movie is kind of devoid of, big dramatic moments so who knows what you guys came up with (laughs) um so uh, andrew we usually we usually have our guests go first uh what was your connecting point for Waterworld?
2: i uh you know what i i feel like as an adult you know there are the moments that i'm that you guys will no doubt speak to that stand out but i have to honor you know who i was as a kid and the moments that kind of stir that in me. I mentioned Master and Commander earlier, uh, which I, one of my favorite movies, just, you know, a movie that you can't even desecrate, like with the word favorite. Um, And those, every shot of the boat, just sailing, you know, with not a single person in sight. um, Just, I, I feel like that drove home the mood, not just the isolation, but, why it was that guy's way of being. And I'm kind of a loner at times by nature. So I got that, you know, his his mentions of um, listening, you know, just listening to nothing drove it home for me. But that was the point that I was kind of, I, I connected with the romance of it and the kind of frontier, you know, archetype. So at the end, when he decided to go back to it, because that was where he was from, I got it, you know, and I feel like that might be a moment that some people take exception with on a plot point. But for me, I was so resonating with that, that when that happened, I thought, you know what, this is cool also, but I probably would do that too.
0: That's awesome. I I love it when it's something like that, something just kind of very small. um, (laughs) And it's just like this brief moment uh, in time that really epitomizes kind of a whole viewing or a whole feeling about that whole movie, right? In just that one brief kind of thing. So that's, that's really great, man. Patrick, what about you? How was, how was it for you?
1: Well, I think the Mariner as a character, you know, he comes across in the better part of the first half of the film as someone with just real nonchalant, no holds barred. I'm not going to take any kind of, fluff or crap for anybody and that kind of gets fleshed out a little bit when he's at the atoll before the big attack and when he gets kind of strung up in his you know, his trading he's very just you know they ask he asks for a certain amount and they want to give him half and all this other stuff but it's when he takes them on his boat and we see particularly his relationship with Enola where she frustrates him to no end. She steals his crayons and she's making his boat prettier because his boat's ugly. And we see these great little moments with him and her where at one point even just tosses her off. Like he's just gotten so sick of her. He just throws her off the boat. Like there's just no concern (laughs) for him. And I, I love that because that could be played for comedy, which it is, but it, it helps match up what happens later on. There's this great moment and let me just say this from a sound mixing standpoint, I meant to bring this up earlier. I love the sound of water. Like I'd love the sound of the ocean and boats on the water and that creaking and whatever my son, when he plays with like his boats in the, in the tub, I love the little sounds it makes when the, the boats are cracking up against the, the, the tub and and just those really cool sounds. Anyway, so that's just a personal, like, yay. And there's this moment, I think it's probably right before the third act where, he takes her out on the out in the water and he's basically teaching her to swim and there's these great camera shots under the water that are beautiful mm. he's talking to her and up until that point you know we've gotten this angst and that whole persona of the mariner and her and how annoying she is and for that moment we get the beginnings of i don't know if it's a father daughter relationship but it's a guardian protector relationship like he doesn't see her right yeah my friend yeah yes exactly and she's not property she's not the Mm -hmm. way to dry land you know she is a human being she is a person she is valuable and we see him in that moment letting her into his world he's in a sense and and we see a mutual acceptance you know right we see his accepting of her as a human being and as a person and value and she's accepting of him for his unique ability at this point he's not a mutant he's a person or he's a he's a creature that has this unique ability and he's inviting her into that world and i thought that was so precious to to see that moment with him and to me i I mentioned this before but the strength of this film is not in the dialogue obviously and i say that very tongue-in-cheek but i say that more because it's the strength is in the nonverbal stuff. It's in these action sequences. It's in the quiet moments and it's in those opening shots that our eyes are informing us of what the story is. And I think that was just as much about that. Cause I don't think I remember any dialogue between them. two. I think that he said, he was saying some things like saying, you know, keep your head up or keep your arms out. Mm -hmm. But it was just very, very cool. And so much was being communicated to me as an audience And and I I just I loved I connected with it very, 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 very closely.
2: Yeah, I don't want to interrupt Aaron, but I I do need to point out you just reminded me. I think that is like the knocking the ball out of the park, the scene of them swimming. But the one that kind of was like the little toss of the ball into the air was when uh, she said, you know, people used to say I'm weird. And he said, maybe they were right. And she says, maybe they were right about you, too. And he Mm. smirks like (laughs) it's the first moment where it's kind of like, oh, I actually might kind of like this. And it's so small as to almost miss it if he wasn't just stone faced the entire time. Oh, yeah. But uh, but that was it was, oh, that great moment. And then devastated by, you know, them swimming together.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Aaron, what about you? What was your connecting point?
2: Well, I'm going to be the sap
0: uh, on this movie uh, (laughs) and say that. I actually went for what was probably the only love scene in the entire film uh, that I
1: can remember. We and already that, talked about that crazy dude on the boat. We, but
0: no, I I really enjoyed the moment where uh, he takes. Uh, gosh, now I really wish we had her name, but Helen. Uh, Helen, where he takes Helen underwater uh, in order to escape from the uh, the attack that's going on above and she can't breathe she's nervous and scared and she doesn't know she wants to go down there because she doesn't think she can hold her breath and of course he's able to breathe into her mouth uh, because he can breathe in the water and he even specifically says i'll breathe for us and so i really liked the way that this scene kind of worked twofold for me both as a romantic moment um where you know you see her touching his gills and she really it's much like you just described with Enola and and your scene Patrick but this is the one where Helen is is kind of understanding him as a human being and as a person she's no longer seeing him as something different and as that mm-hmm. being scary or weird she's accepting him she's she's touching them um and she's she's really just letting him be who he is and seeing him for the the strengths and the the positive things that that brings and right. then it, it really works for both characters it, it, it's a very mutual um a uh, moment of kind of connection between them um and vulnerability because he, he he allows himself to be accepted as well by her in that moment he he's no longer trying to protect himself and, and hide and keep himself you know uh pushed it pushed away but then To me, it also the second way it really works well is that it it gives us a chance to see his quote unquote superpowers, as I would call them in effect. Like we we get to see that moment where he's fully underwater swimming and holding his breath and being an absolute merman, like beyond a shadow of a doubt. No question about it. The only way he's doing this is because he's a mutant. And so it Mm. gives us both of those things in the same time. And it's all framed around this kind of real sweet moment yet it happens within this action scene and so i I just really love the construction of that scene and how how much it gave me all in one kind of short time period
1: very cool man i uh i don't i don't doubt your sappiness and, and i think it was much deserved though i think that was a fantastic one i i think it reminded me quite a bit of i don't know what came to mind there was a scene from uh the the miss peregrine's home for peculiar children the the exposure of a person's ability to because i think that speaks a lot to the the vulnerability of these characters and which i mean you don't get the depth of that that much but it's very cool to see how those vulnerabilities uh, pay themselves off and how they are almost earned to an extent you know with her with him and helen and then with him and anola and uh so great pick i like that
0: why thank you
1: well Andrew it
0: has been a blast man I'm so glad you chose this movie uh, it's it's like I said it's it's probably not one we ever would have come well I won't say that I mean we expect to be in existence for a long time so it might have come up but um I doubt it would have been a, a priority for us so
2: I'm pumped that we got to talk about it um it was, it was, <laughs> I'm so happy that you guys enjoyed it I know that I mean it kind of is in some ways like the perfect movie for the feeling film <laughs> you know, philosophy of how does the movie make you feel rather than what other people say it's quality is, mm-hmm. because this really is kind of a, a front runner of do not judge a movie on, you know, do not judge how much you will enjoy or how much you'll respond to it based on what other people say about it. Because I'm sure like patch, this should have been like a terrible movie
1: given sure, you know, yeah. everything
2: that's said about it, that it is kind of like there may I'm I you know what I'm not I'm going to be positive I like when people behave that way because it makes it such an amazing surprise when you actually do end up seeing it and -hmm. end up loving parts of it or all of it or any second of it Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah for for sure. sure
0: well Andrew uh as a guest going first as always where can people find your work out there on the internet if they want to connect with you or read some of the amazing articles that you put out there
2: Yeah, if you want to connect with me, uh, you can tweet uh, at me, at Andrew B. Dice, D-Y-C-E. Tell me that is not how human evolution works. That is not how (laughs) gills work. I'm open to all of that. Uh, If you want to follow my writing about movies and TV shows and comics and all geeky goodness, uh, that is not a tagline. I take that back. You can find that at ScreenRant.com. And then I also do... Uh, The Flash Podcast, and we recently just had a long episode talking about the Flashpoint movie coming in the DCEU and me outlining the exact movie I would love to see made. So you can find that on Twitter at The Flash Podcast. Ooh, I'm gonna check that out. I know. I was yeah. getting ready. I was getting ready to ask Patrick, did
1: you know this existed or not? Cause... Let me let me just let me just tell you something. I mean, yeah, the the time that I have to watch movies, there's even less time to to listen to podcasts. So just know <laughs> that when a podcast comes to mind that's gonna pique my interest, that's an important thing. So just yeah, it's it's becoming oh, I'm important honored. deals. So I'm, I'm gonna honored. I'm writing it down now so I can go ahead and queue it up in my uh, my podcatcher. Awesome, Patrick. What about you? Where can we find you? online well I'm yeah as always I'm on the big three uh facebook uh, Twitter and instagram at shoeless patch s-h-o-e-l-e-s-s-p-a-t-c-h and you can find out more about me at uh, at those places or at my website this is uh, coming next week I wanted to give you guys a heads up that we're going to be reviewing the the 1957 edition the original jane fonda not jane fonda (laughs) i oh my gosh i hope not i messed it up the henry fonda led great film 12 angry men which i know aaron is extremely excited about i've
0: been waiting i'm so ready oh
2: that has one of the best taglines in movie history too
1: what what is it i can't
2: oh Uh, life is in
1: their hands death is in their minds death is is on
2: their minds yeah
1: Yes. So, and it's got a better movie poster than, uh, than Waterworld world too. Water world. <laughs> you
2: want to
1: There's talk no, about a timely
0: film. I am, I am so just over the moon ready to talk about this movie. I, I saw it for the first time this year, early this yeah. year. And I, it was one of those rare, I mean, I'm giving some teas for next week, but one of those rare times where you watch a classic film and it actually holds up to what people mm-hmm. say about it. And I just, I was floored. So I'm, I'm so ready.
1: It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. I loved when you your first reply after watching it was that was amazing, and your second was where do we need to put it on the schedule? Yeah, talk about. <laughs> <it>. Yep. <laughs> in the uh, in the meantime, we're also doing the August donor pick vote uh, that just got finalized, and we are doing Rudy, which makes me yeah. excited. Uh, football season is upon us, and what a what a great way to to ring it in within uh, a college football movie with uh with with uh not mr frodo but uh but it's it's good <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i'm 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 jazzed about that there are a couple of good movies coming out i'm uh i'm excited to talk to you about aaron and so yeah that's what's coming up so since you aaron, did that about you
0: since you did that just now does that mean we don't have to listen to a bunch of sam comparisons next week
1: <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely <laughs> it's done over and done we're going to talk about rudy and not samwise <laughs> don't believe
0: his lies
1: don't okay believe his lies. um Listeners, if you'd like to find me or
0: interact with me on on the interwebs, you can find me everywhere at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, on Twitter and Facebook in particular, and also uh, tweeting and such from the show's Twitter and uh, Facebook page. Accounts. You can also always come talk to us in the Facebook group for Feelin Film. Just search that one up, and or use the links that are in the show notes and the blog post. It's growing. We love it. It's awesome. Tons of incredible conversation is happening there every single week. Very lots of depth is going on lately. There are some some serious uh, some serious threads that have just blown my mind, and it's it's been an amazing experience watching a bunch of you listeners who interact with each other and get to know each other and form friendships all over just talking about movies. So we highly encourage you and would love to have you come be a part of that community. Lastly, you heard me mention earlier at the beginning of the show that we have a new podcast kind of under our banner. And that is the one that I am co-hosting called tabletop flicks just dropped our third episode today. And that is on dinosaurs where we talk about Jurassic park, Jurassic world, and a whole bunch of awesome, awesome board games uh, that feature dinosaurs. So, if that is at all interesting to you, you can find that feed all over the place in any podcatcher at Tabletop Flicks. Uh, and you can also find it on our website and links to it in the blog and the show notes as well. Andrew, thanks again, man, for coming. It's been great. Uh, I think we've got you up next for what are we doing? Justice League? You doing Justice League with us?
2: Oh, I think I might have to. I think you might. <laughs> all right. Yes. There we go. <laughs> Put it on the calendar.
1: Yep. It yeah, we of them. Course.
0: yeah, we're just we're we're call we're calling all future DC films for Andrew. And this was the <laughs> this was and then we'll, we'll sprinkle in some other ones in between uh, when Dibs, we find out what Dibs, else yeah. what else he secretly loves. Awesome. Um, so, awesome. But yeah, thank you. As always, it's been wonderful. Uh, listeners, thank you for being with us and spending time out of your day to uh, hear our conversation. We hope that it was enjoyable for you and a good time. Until next time, as always, stay positive. And keep filling film, matey.